I'm sorry, I cannot say I love you. When you say you love me, the words, like moist fingers, appear before me full of promise, but then run away to a narrow black room that is always dark, where they are silent, elegant, like antique gold, devouring the thing I feel. I want the force of attraction to crush the force of repulsion and my inner and outer worlds to pierce one another, like a horse whipped by a man. I don't want words to sever me from reality. I don't want to need them. I want nothing to reveal feeling but feeling, as in freedom or the knowledge of peace in a realm beyond, or the sound of water poured into a bowl. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, a podcast about poetry. Each week I read a poem, look at its inner workings, and hopefully show you what makes it tick. This week's poem is Gravity in Centre by Henri Cole. Before I begin, I have a suggestion. Try to find a copy of the poem somewhere so that you can read along. If you're having trouble finding one, you'll find a link below in the description. Henri Cole could very much be seen as a poet's poet. His name comes up under the who are you reading and who do you enjoy sections of any interview with your own favourite poet. And when reading his work, it's not really hard to see why. His poetry treads that fine line between disciplined technical verse and sublime emotional imagery. On top of that, he's simply incredibly prolific, releasing a new collection of poetry every few years with the same consistent quality his readers have come to expect. Born in Fukuoka, Japan in 1956, but then raised in Virginia in the United States, Cole has been most influenced by the latter location. The themes of nature are always prevalent in his work. Usually, when someone reads this, they think of lofty language and grand imagery as an ode to nature, the likes you might find in Coleridge or Blake, but it is not so with Cole. His reference to nature is of a much darker kind. It has been noted that there is an almost pagan-like quality to the reverence he shows the natural world. He uses what are traditionally soothing images to take stock of much more somber moments and emotions in his own life. This focus on his inner life makes him a poet in the lyric tradition. That is to say that his work is heavily focused on the expression of intense private emotion. The evidence of which can be seen in today's poem. In reading this work, we are often buoyed on a capricious tide of emotions seeming to experience them as he does. This focus on emotion and revelation has led to many branding him a confessional poet. Confessional poetry is a distinctly American form that became popular in the 1950s and 1960s. The core of the style is to be, as previously mentioned, self-revelatory about the hidden parts of oneself. Not to shy away when writing verse from the less admirable qualities of ourselves. If you're listening to this and saying, is that not most poetry? Then you're not alone. Many of the poets who found themselves under this umbrella term 
placed themselves vehemently in opposition to it. Henri Cole is one such reluctant confessor. I will quote him here from an interview in 2014. A confessional poem is more diary-like and confined to be the here and now and without much aesthetic dignity. When I am writing, there is no pleasure in revealing the facts of my life. Pleasure comes from the art-making impulse, from assembling language into art. The aesthetic dignity Cole speaks of is clearly on display in Gravity and Center. He is revealing a deep-seated insecurity around fear and acceptance. He is not seeking some documenting of his own emotion and experience. Rather, he hopes to find the makings of art. In this poem, love is a dangerous and quixotic thing. He makes it clear in the first section I've chosen to analyze. I'm sorry, I cannot say I love you when you say you love me. The words, like moist fingers, appear before me full of promise, but then run away to a narrow black room that is always dark, where they are silent, elegant, like antique gold, devouring the thing I feel. There is an instant regret in those first three syllables, and the painful situation of unrequited love is laid bare for the reader. Cole sets about constructing an air of discomfort in a typically direct fashion. The reader experiences a barrage of seemingly incongruous imagery, each new one a little stranger than the last. The simile, like moist fingers, sends an instantly unpleasant shiver down the spine of any potential recipient. Then it rapidly shifts to something very much desired, something full of promise, as Cole puts it. Such back and forth sweeps the reader up in the same torrent of emotion the speaker has succumbed to. There is panic and expectation fused all at once. Then comes the loss of that potential as those fingers run away. That sense of panic then heightens and the feeling that chase must be given takes hold. Claustrophobia seizes the poem with the introduction of the narrow black room. This place is cold, dark and confining. It is where the words, I love you, the moist fingers, come to rest. In their rest, they are transformed into objects of pure ostentation, like antique gold. Those initial tones of desire and panic are given a final sinister note at the end of the section, devouring the thing I feel. So just what is Henri Cole trying to put across here? For me, it is two very different types of love. One romantic and one carnal. The speaker feels a drive, a primal lust for this person who has just confessed their love for them. At that moment, they realize their own feelings pale in comparison to this grand declaration, this elegant thing. Its weight quite literally devours the speaker's own feeling. The dark room speaks to me of either a cold heart or fearful mind. Not knowing what to do with such a profession of love, the speaker chooses instead to banish it, lock it away, and to avoid the ramifications. One of my favorite things about this opening section is how it showcases Cole's deceptive directness. 
He avoids ornate or superfluous language. Much of his imagery, at least from a surface perspective, is easy enough to understand. But beneath is a tapestry of thought and image that grows slowly on the reader, in a sense, ensnaring them. These loose and disjointed images have been called artful artlessness by academic John Coth. He states that this artful artlessness is not an end in itself, impressive though it is, but works in the service of what I take to be Cole's true subject, the inward subjective self and its problematic relation to the objective external world of things and other people. The chaotic style of imagery is a direct embodiment of emotional worlds colliding with material ones. The result is jarring and familiar to anyone who has felt bewildered by the unfairness of the universe or the bizarre turns that their lives may have taken. That sense of conflict is confirmed and pushed even further in the second section. I want the force of attraction to crush the force of repulsion and my inner and outer worlds to pierce one another like a horse whipped by a man. I don't want words to sever me from reality. The carnal lust I hinted at in the opening section bears its teeth fully here. The speaker wants that strange sense of unpleasantness brought by those initial words to be obliterated by desire. Cole adds credence to Coth's theory of the internal versus external states colliding when he writes of wanting his inner and outer worlds to pierce one another. The speaker of the poem wants unity within themselves. They are inviting a collision of the private and public in the hopes that such shock might lead to a sense of cohesion or wholeness. Another simile is used here, like a horse whipped by a man, to indicate the speed and fervor with which they would like this collision to occur. It is clear that what the speaker actually feels and what the speaker is told to feel are completely at war with one another. Much like the beginning of the poem, they are terrified that their internal life is being damaged or lessened by their experiences. They don't want words to sever them from reality. They don't want the cold distance brought by linguistic logic. The artful artlessness previously mentioned borders on sheer confusion here. Whilst possibly confused, the audience is more than likely still stirred by the vibrant language and clear technical skill of the poet. The emotions are being put across strongly, if not entirely understandably, and this keeps the reader engaged. To make things a little more understandable, the biographical nature of Cole's work must be investigated further. In his earlier collections of poetry, Cole was praised for his scholarly verse. His technical skill yielded masterful pieces of poetry, filled with perfectly chosen language, ornamentation, and near-perfect execution. However, when these early poems are examined closely, they reveal so little about the poet himself. This all changed with the publishing of his fourth collection, The Visible Man, in 1998. 
many critics hailed it as a breakthrough for Cole's body of work. There was a far stronger focus on action and living description, as opposed to these perfect diamonds of poetry. With The Visible Man, however, Cole finally begins to allow autobiographical elements to slip into his work. One area in particular was explored far more, his sexuality. Cole has admitted that he was a late bloomer when it came to coming out, not doing so until he was 30. From The Visible Man onwards, however, sex would become a prominent theme in his work. The pursuit of it, the joy of it, but also the more difficult aspects of it. He has spoken at length about the importance of poetry in provoking discomfort in an audience. Here is a cobbled together quote from an interview he did with the Paris Review. Some people speak of poetry as therapy, but I don't have this experience. For me, the therapy is in finding the right words and getting them in the right order. There is not any therapy in personal revelation. To say that poetry must comfort us and point to what is good, I don't think that is the function of art. A sentimental, moralizing poem is not what I want to write. I don't want the reader to experience comfort. I want the opposite. I believe that discomfort around his sexuality is what is being explored in this poem. As a late bloomer, the reality Cole experiences may be one of repression and difficulty, whereas his inner desires are to embrace his homosexuality. Cole has spoken about this at length, citing his rigorous Catholic upbringing as a reason to doubt his true desires. Is the repulsion he is feeling in this poem then a reaction to his own nature? Is the reality of his repression conflicting with the desire of his heart? Is Cole here struggling to accept the love of another man? Is this why those words scare him so? The final section of the poem expands on the torment this conflict is causing him. I don't want to need them. I want nothing to reveal feeling but feeling, as in freedom or the knowledge of peace in a realm beyond, or the sound of water poured into a bowl. The things he doesn't want to need are the words from the previous line. He does not want to take shelter in them, but rather wants simply to reveal feeling with feeling, to exist in a space of pure emotion, free of the weight of logic and societal pressure. He compares his true desire to the feeling of freedom or the comfort of an afterlife. He calls it the knowledge of the peace in a realm beyond, the security of knowing what comes next? There is a wonderful contrast in these final lines between a grand symbol of peace and calm, the great beyond, and something much more simple, the soothing sound of running water. To me, it shows that when we are at war with ourselves, we would settle for any kind of peace we could get our hands on. These same lines serve a second purpose. At the very beginning of the poem, we felt the speaker's burning desire, a raw, raging thing, 
and by the end, we meet its opposite image, a cool, liquid calm, albeit just out of reach. The poem is brief, and yet within it we've experienced a whole range of human emotion. And much like the actual thing, it can flare and fizzle in an instant, leaving us wondering what we were really feeling in the first place. So why this poem? Simply put, I think it shows that poetry can speak volumes to those human aspects that are less than virtuous. It is a testament to the multifaceted quality of the human heart. Henri Cole has taken one of the most venerated of human emotions, love, and revealed it to be a capricious and hungry thing at times. To me, it is a perfect example of the fluid nature of Cole's poetry. It moves the reader through its lines with ease, the imagery sifting together and leaving a mark in its wake. His work often proves that we don't have to completely understand what's going on to be moved by a poem. However, I think John Coth put it best when he wrote that Cole's work puts an emphasis on directness and the avoidance of comforting illusions and consolations, which inevitably raises questions about the relation between poetry and truth. Henri Cole has never avoided directness, has never leaned on comforting illusions or consolations. When reading his poetry, the reader is forced to take stock of their own life and look inward. Much of his work can be seen as a beautiful, investigative tool for how we feel. And for me, that makes it a stunning achievement. What's your reading of the poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, I'd like to ask you to leave me a review wherever you listen. A thumbs up on YouTube, a star review on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Amazon or Google, please leave a comment there. It would really help me out. But better yet, if you have a friend who would enjoy this poem or is a huge Henri Cole fan, please send it to them. If you'd like to talk to me about it or if you'd like to suggest anything to be read on this podcast, please get in touch. You can do so in a few ways. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. You can find my website, www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com. There you'll also find the show notes for this week's episode, complete with references to my entire script. If none of that suits you, I'm on Instagram. Just search Words That Burn Podcast and you will find helpful study guides and bonus content there too. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode is by Scott Buckley and is used under Creative Commons license. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me. And hopefully, you'll hear from me again soon.